Hello, and welcome to Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. I am one of your hosts, John McMahon, and joining me on the other line, literally live from the Hanley compound on Long Island, it's Daniel Hanley. Oh, thanks, John. Thanks for welcoming me as a guest on my own podcast. Yeah. Oh, wow. The the making fun of me for what this episode is going to be starts early on this one. Early and often. I'm excited, though. I'm really excited. Well-deserved making fun of me. Daniel, why, why are you excited? What are we talking about today? I'm excited because we're talking about, like, the grand narrative of taste that you've teased a couple of times on a couple of episodes, and you've teased a number of times over texts and phone calls. So I'm For months, just, literally months. Like, since we started all of this. <laughs> and so I'm just excited to, like, finally hear what what this, like, grand theory is. You know, I love a I love a meta theory. So like like Who let's doesn't? get into it. Who doesn't? This is going to be a more meta episode. Not that like anything we do is necessarily not particularly meta. Yeah, uh, we're taking a step back a little bit, so on and so forth. Uh, any other? Well, we're going to do disclaimers here in a minute. But this this episode, Daniel, I think starts from a from a central observation. Okay, and that is, and I, and I want to hear if you agree with this premise. Right? Okay, considering like our friendship. Considering the multiple ways in which we more or less share a brain. Absolutely. I was literally talking about this last week. Exactly. And considering that we are doing a TV podcast together. Very true. Our tastes in TV and film actually differ kind of a lot. Like like an insane amount. (laughs) And what we want out of TV and film differs a lot. Do you you agree with this premise? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I think like you're right to highlight those sort of three things because it means like the assumption should follow that like we actually converge on a lot. But in reality... I, there's like so many things that I like go watch or go see where I'm like, mm, this is like not a John vibe. <laughs> <laughs> same. Um, same. Same. Do you like, what do you think are some of the starker examples of this dynamic of this that we have accepted and stipulated as the premise of the theory to come? Yeah. I mean, like, I think some of the starker examples are just like my obsession with the MCU and Star Wars and, and like content and keeping up with the deluge of IP driven content. And then I would say your just like general appreciation for, I don't think I would go as far as obsession, but like appreciation for prestige TV. Like I think sure. that is the place like where it's, I think given my love of IP driven content, it should follow that I'm at least excited about prestige tv because it i think the logic is like it's the same bigger machine and i think your love of prestige tv is like probably the most basic thing about you which like then follows that you should love like mcu and star wars to the extent that i do i think that's i think that's a fair way to put it um you know i have i think it's fair to say maybe to uh, generous and I'll get shadier as we go. Uh, <laughs> like I guess skepticism or, or potentially eye rolling towards yeah. like IP driven content. And I would actually very, and this is, I think will why we view this differently will become clear in my mm-hmm. mind at least as we go. But I would very much separate out the prestige TV from the MCU or from star yeah. Wars or from um, kind of like IP content. Yeah. I, it's, it's funny because I think that your impulse to separate them makes a lot of sense and it, it like helps understand 
the, where we diverge. Mm -hmm. But I, I think at least commercially and like as part of the machine of like media capitalism, like those things are actually not that different. Excellent. Excellent point. I hadn't thought of that before. So I really like that. And I like it because <laughs> it like a little bit like cutting the knees out from under me and my attempt to separate these on an aesthetic basis is like Daniel goes to the well, the political economy of these are exactly the same things more or less. I just want to be very clear that I did not use the term political economy because I don't know what it means. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, it means Marx, yes? Like, that's, yeah, you know, I believe that's universally accepted among right. all economists, yes, uh, is that political economy is Marx. Uh, and, like, uh... you know, you're later Marxist or whatever. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, like, I think just to, I mean, you know, to be even more specific about these differences are that I think I have literally seen three MCU movies. Some of them with me because one I was like, you, so you this one is what we're doing. That. And like, it's true. And so I, I have seen Iron Man one. I'm assuming there are many of them, but the, I saw three. the first one. Uh, I would have guessed more. I saw Black Panther because obviously. Yeah. Uh, and like, you know, of course they fucked that movie up and like Killmonger was right. Hashtag um, Christopher <laughs> Lebron's piece on that is amazing. Uh, and... <laughs> Uh, Black and Black Widow, which I saw with Danielle, which I enjoyed, but like would not have seen otherwise. Yeah. And and conversely, like a number of the you know, golden age of television, prestige TV, whatever you want to call it, shows and things that I would say are some of the greatest shows mm -hmm. um, that I've ever watched are things you have not watched or like are kind yeah. of maybe self-avowedly not interested in. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like a little bit of both. Like, I was never interested in The Sopranos, right, to like start from the urtext. I was never interested in The Sopranos because I'm like, who cares what mobsters are doing? I'm from Long Island, whatever. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I haven't watched The Sopranos. I haven't watched Mad Men. I haven't watched Breaking Bad. I haven't watched Better Call Saul. Um, I haven't watched The Leftovers. Like, there are just a ton of things that fall into that, like, that bucket of, like, prestige TV, whether from, like, the the 90s and early aughts or from or more recently. Yeah. Like, and I think it started as, like, a, oh, okay, like, this, like, subject matter does not interest me. And then there is something about it where I'm, like, everyone is just, like, very obsessed with this. I'm trying to think of, like, a, a more recent one. There was just a show with Hugh Jackman where he's like the murderer, but like it's not, we're not supposed to know, and then everybody does know. Um, did, did, I know what show you're talking about. I didn't watch it. I don't even remember what yeah, the name but of like, it is. It was supposed to be bad. That's all I, yeah, that's all I. <laughs> but just like all of these, it's basically like all of the shows that the boys on the watch are like, could this have the belt? So like Atlanta is another one. Like I also have never seen Atlanta. And so some of these I'm just, like, averse to because of the subject matter. Some of them I'm averse to because they're, like, event television, and I'm just, like, eye roll about that, which is kind but of isn't, funny. isn't, like, the MCU event tele Like, isn't, you know, Moon Knight, to talk about the most recent show, also event television? An amazing show. Um, which we are going to talk about this summer. A hundred percent. Well, there are like Oscar Isaac is playing multiple roles at once, so we cannot that, that talk helped about took it. Me, uh, <laughs> I didn't agree to this. Yeah, but here's the difference: I am interested in the world building aspects of the MCU. I am interested in the like 
connections and even something like Moon Knight, which doesn't have as obvious connections. You don't, you don't get like a, I don't know, like an Iron Man cameo in Moon Knight. Like you don't get the like explicit connections that, that like we've had, but it's like part of a bigger world of things. And so I'm like, okay, I'm interested. And I guess like, here's the connection I think to prestige TV which is, now, I've never seen The Godfather. Like, see, not interested in The Sopranos content. However, I'm like, oh, the show The Offer on Paramount Plus, like, that's kind of interesting because it's, like, the, the, a mini series of the making of The Godfather. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, world building. I'm like, I could be, I could be interested in that. Now, I'm not going to watch it most likely but i'm more interested in that than just like sitting down and watching the godfather exactly yeah Hmm. that makes okay that makes sense this is i think i think we're we're setting up the eventual (laughs) theory which we have which we're not getting to yet don't worry audience we're still still a ways away um i I I think this is helpful context yeah i also just want to say for all of our loyal listeners like John has been teasing this, but I actually don't know what the theory is. Like, <laughs> That's true. We probably should have said that nine minutes ago. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> They're still with us now. They've m- probably gotten it by now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Danielle has no idea what the theory is. This is an on-air reveal. <laughs> it is. So before we reveal, some, some disclaimers oh. to offer. Um, and Danielle, I'm going to list a bunch, and then I want you to feel free to add others um, okay. that you would like. Disclaimer number one. As we've determined and have said many a times, not quite great books is for us, for Danielle and I. This episode, even more than most episodes, is for us. It's going to be incredibly navel-gazing, <laughs> incredibly personalized, incredibly meta. And while we will say a bunch of things about aesthetics and pop culture, this is an episode that more than usual is for us. Do you, Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that. But I also think like anybody who's on this journey with us, like, already gets that because like i don't know are like we're not going to talk about political theory until the cave but everything we talk about is political theory because we're us like it's the same yep true uh no notes all right (laughs) this is me at my most pretentious i think (laughs) uh in this episode not that i'm ever not pretentious uh on the not quite books television podcast but this is going to be uh just fully leaning into that as much as i absolutely possibly can i'm excited because i don't find you pretentious but i do think that like an objective observer would characterize your tv and film preferences as such and they would be correct (laughs) um but let's put it this way like in i'm on team marty in the scorsese versus mcu debate which is objectively the pretentious side of the wrong side it's like you don't get what they're for cool (laughs) (laughs) what not the first time danielle is going to tell me that this episode (laughs) and that brings us to our next disclaimer and that is that an i am likely to be incredibly shady and oftentimes more overt than shadiness towards things that many, many people, my dear co-host included, like very much. Yeah. But also like taste is subjective. Exactly. I, I do not claim I am right. I think (laughs) in my, in my taste, but I would not say I am objectively right in my taste. If that, yeah, but no one, there is no objective correctness. That's, that's just like a fantasy. 
Correct. Um, By the correct. patriarchy and Marx. <laughs> <laughs> and, in, and in some ways, and this is a, a disclaimer and also a, a note and also like my citations, is that in my opinion, the best articulation of much of what I'm about to say comes from the best TV podcast in existence. Because obviously second, you know, we're and not quite great books is second best, uh, we'll but the best, uh, which is cut to black by Gretchen Felker, Martin and Sean T Collins. And I'm definitely going to be quoting them further on. Like I've transcribed some notes from, from their podcast. So extremely influenced by that podcast. I just want to say that before we started recording, I was like, what is that podcast? And also I have no interest in ever listening to it. I will be listening to multiple recap podcasts about the Shows latest Moon Knight episode and <laughs> Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And you're already mad at some of the podcasts about Dr. Strange and the Multiverse yes, of Madness. Yes, I am already mad, I... though I knew that I was going to be mad because Chris Ryan, while I love him, has shit takes about the MCU. Guess whose takes I mostly agree with on them. I know, but audience. you also, like, you haven't watched them. So like, <laughs> exactly, which is why I feel very comfortable. This is going to get just, contentious. I'm it's, so it's excited. True. Because we agree on so much during basically all of the recording of this podcast we've done so far. And to your point, I am very content to get a taste of the take from someone I know like shares mm-hmm. my skepticism and let that be my own take without ever watching the thing, which is terrible. And like a bad, you know, bad, bad but, criticism, but also like, it's a shortcut I'm willing to take a, a heuristic I'm willing to adopt. Listen, I've listened to many hours of podcasts about succession and I have no intention of ever watching it. So I feel that, you know, yeah, and and they so Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald like Succession a little too much, in my opinion. Yeah. Like it's not as good as they say. It's good, but it's not yeah. as good as they say it is. So, you know, I'm not I'm not like fully in the bag for anyone except basically Gresham Felker Martin and Shanti Collins. We'll take it. Takes. Okay, <laughs> all right. Are Are you ready, Danielle? I am so ready. I can, I honestly can't believe we've gone like 14 minutes without you, without me forcing you to tell me the story, <laughs> let alone okay. the months beforehand. <laughs> Literally months, folks. Okay, part 1 of the theory and this is the this is and the goal of the theory is to explain both the taste that Danielle and I share mm-hmm. and then secondarily explain the extreme divergence in mm-hmm. our tastes, all right? So part one, our convergence, is that I think we both share a desire for some kind of aesthetic excess, right? In some ways, sure, realism is great or whatever, but part of what I think both you and I want from the way we experience TV or the way we experience film is some kind of aesthetic transformation and expanded imagination of some kind of other world that is not our own. And I'm sure there's like a Deleuze time image point to make here, but we're leaving that to the side. We're sending him directly to the cave without engaging Gilles. So that's, that's my theory of the convergence. Part two of the theory is that while we both seek aesthetic excess, we want different, and I would say very, very different kinds of that aesthetic excess. I want in my aesthetic excess, the surreal, the 
ineffable, the like beautifully and terribly strange, the dreamlike, the uncanny, the conceptual, the inexplicable, so on and so forth. Like to be as pretentious as possible about it. Like I want the avant-garde mm-hmm. to enter TV. So I want something like Twin Peaks or Station Eleven or Atlanta or The Sopranos or The Young Pope or the first season of The Terror to list shows that I think Danielle has watched none of, if my if I am understanding correctly. I haven't. I've watched The Young Pope and I have I wanna watch Station Eleven, but the rest of them I haven't watched. Fair enough. And my then read of your preferred aesthetic excess is the excess of and I'm going to try to not be shady, you and I apologize in advance for being Fine. shady. I'll bring it it's, back. It's like, <laughs> I have no <laughs> doubt, is the bombastic spectacle, the universe that is not our own, to your point, like a certain kind of word, world building, mm-hmm. um, a, like manichaeanism that is like melodramatic in some ways, um, um, the metaverse, and then a bunch of other things um, that I preemptively apologize for shading later in the episode. <laughs> so there's a many, many places to go with that basic theory. But what is your like initial basic take in response? I mean, I've been I've been in the take minds with this one for a long time. Yes. So what? So what is your response? I think that generally that is captures a lot of it. I would characterize my own sort of taste slightly differently, but not incompatible with what you said, which is I like to watch TV for escape. And so the, and, and escape plus, or like, yeah, like escape plus world building is like my favorite form of that Mm -hmm. because it is the promise of a world that doesn't exist. Right. So like, but I don't think that that's incompatible with what you've said. I do think that like the way that you've characterized your own is like the sort of, I think the, like the beautiful and terrible part of it, like that is the most interesting to me. And I think that that's right. Um, Or at least that's my read of you as well. But yeah, I mean, generally I, I'm, I, I agree with this for the most part. Yeah. And Escape is an interesting concept to think about here because I would also categorize what I want as yeah. an escape, but it's a very different kind of escape. Yeah. And so I, um, and maybe I've mentioned him on this podcast before, but maybe I haven't. My friend Marcus, who is one of my best friends from grad school, um, he and I both had movie pass. And so we literally laugh and we're like, we, single-handedly like ran (laughs) into the ground we saw so many movies but he his taste and your taste were very similar um in terms of movies and i would be like let's go see like let's go see the meg (laughs) and marcus is like i'm not seeing this trash fest i'm like it's free (laughs) and also it's jason statham (laughs) and also there's a a megalodon shark from the prehistoric times. Marcus is like, no, thank you. And so I think that like, it makes sense to me that the way that you think about the stuff that you like also falls into escape. And I think like that, that is actually probably something that it's like one of those like most similar, most different, like we're both into escape. What facilitates escape for each of us is, is quite different. I hear you. Um, and if I can maybe, and I think, I think this speaks to some of what from 
Shanti Collins and Gretchen Felker Martin have described their own tastes and like, you know, clearly my taste aligns with them. You know, they've described it as, and these are, these are quotes from some of their cut to black episodes, pretty shows about dark stuff, which mm-hmm. I think captures a lot of my taste. They talk frequently a kind of common theme is, and this is, this is uh, first Shanti Collins and then Gretchen Felker Martin talking about the young Pope. The style, a stylistic audacity, a willingness to be weirder than it needs to be, strictly speaking, is Collins and then Felker Martin. The willingness to look ridiculous, to touch something divine, any transcendent moment that really flirts with absurdity. And that, I think, does capture the kind of escape that I'm seeking or the kind of aesthetic excess that I want. Yeah, yeah, I, that that makes sense, and it makes sense why these are people that you are drawn to in terms of their takes on on TV and pop culture because, like, they want to think about whether or not something matches up to that set of of descriptors. And I'm like, I, I was saying this to you, I think earlier this week or maybe last week, but like. I really want to watch Under the Banner of Heaven, which I think is another, like, prestige TV yes, show. absolutely. And, like, that book was so hard for me to read because it, like, gave me nightmares. Um, and so, but I think it's, like, the beautiful and terrible and, uh, like, all at once. And I'm just like, oh, I really have to be in the right headspace for that. And you're like, I'm always in that headspace. Yeah, and I think... And I should say that, I mean, so the, there are, like, the classic, quote-unquote, prestige TV shows that fall into this category. You know, yeah. Twin Beaks and Sopranos, probably most of all. But then there are some that are lesser appreciated mm-hmm. that literally I only watched because Shanti Collins was like, this was the best show this year, and then this was the best show the next year. Like what? And that is The Young Pope and the first season of The Terror. And The Terror is, I think, most illustrative of the beautiful and the terrible of the transcendent that is also slightly ridiculous um, of all of those things. I'm not interested in anything that's titled the terror. (laughs) Well, and and so one of the strange things is that horror, and this is actually my, where my own tastes diverge from Collins and Felker Mm -hmm. Martin is my, I basically have zero interest in horror. I can't do it. Like, I can't watch Same. scary movies. Like, horror is not my genre. Gore is a thing I have some difficulty with. Yeah. Same. And so the terror was, I, you know, that's the name of it. And so it's going to be like, oh, this is, I don't know if I'm going to make this through, but, you know, I trust the aesthetic judgment of this television critic. So I'm willing yeah. to give it a try. It's something I've watched a couple of times through now. It's maybe the best show ever I've ever seen. Okay. There are parts of it that are horror adjacent, but it is not only a horror movie or not only like that kind of um, aesthetic. It's not particularly a jump scare or something like that, even though there are very horrific things that happen. Like there is cannibalism in the show. There is a metaphysical, like otherworldly supernatural beast um, that is there. There is some of the most stunning vistas uh, ever represented on television. There's a lot of things happening in the terror. And ultimately it is that it is both utterly beautiful and entirely ter- terrifying. Is this with Jude Law? Was this last year? Who's, no. Who's in mm-hmm. it? Um, Jared Harris is in it. Uh, Sierra Hines is in it. Um, 
Why am I blinking on uh, Edmure? Edmure Tully is in it. Tobias Menzies is in it. Um, Yeah. No, I don't. Yeah. So, hmm. It's it's about sailors that get stuck in the basically in near the Arctic Circle. British expeditionists in the 19th century. They're trying to find the quote unquote North no, Passage. No, thank you. Wow. I mean, <laughs> now we get on another thing that I'm just like not interested in. It's like period pieces, which like I know you have said to me before that the Americans is a period piece, but a period piece in the 1980s is not a period piece with like. I don't know, like bullshit dresses. <laughs> okay, there's very little bullshit dresses. Yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> the terror. Uh, I mean, the terror fails the Bechdel test, I would assume, um, quite easily fails. Or if it passes, it's only on a technicality. Um, but that, I don't know, if there's going to be one show that I lobby for us to talk about that you're just going to say no to, it's going to be the first season of The Terror. Absolutely not. I, like, again, <laughs> I'm. John, the other night, I, John knows this, but like, I often will watch TV shows while I'm like riding the Peloton. And the other night I was like, well, let me revisit Buffy. And it was like 9 p.m. at night. And I was like, Danielle. And I've seen all of Buffy multiple times. And I'm like, you cannot watch an episode about vampires at 9 p.m. at night and then think (laughs) you're going to sleep. Like, put on Top Chef. Like, get out of here. I had to get off the bike and switch because I was like, no, 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 Like, Like, so something called The Terror. Like, again, I have seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I know what the vampire faces look like. And I was like, you're not going to be able to handle this. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Maybe you can't handle uh, The Terror. I think you maybe could actually, but no, that's okay. I, no. Can... <laughs> uh, a hard line. <laughs> Although I have watched The Young Pope and like I, but I didn't watch it because it was prestige TV or because of its absurdism. I watched it because I like Jude Law. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course. Um, and he's incredible in that show. Yeah. What, like, what, what's like your Young Pope take? I don't really have a take because I was like, I'm not, I'm actually not really interested in this. It's like, it's like also like I went to see Secrets of Dumbledore, but I like. Wow. Those are two things I never thought anybody would put in the same sentence ever as long as I lived. What do they have in common? I have no. Oh, Jude Jude Law. Law. (laughs) Okay. Right. And so, and I'm like pretty opposed to like paying money into JK Rowling's like pocket, Mm -hmm. but. I bought it on, I bought it with a gift certificate that I had to the movie theater. And I was like, I feel okay about this. So it's like, sometimes my like sheer distaste for like prestige TV type stuff gets trumped by like, oh, this is a, this is like either a creator I like or an actor or an actress I like. Like, sure. Those things can trump. So, like, I think that this falls kind of into the, like, the the, the same genre of stuff is, like, devs. But mm-hmm. I love Nick Offerman, and I love Alex Garland, which is yeah. probably, like, That's Annihilation. That's where we connect, yeah. Annihilation was the scariest movie I've seen in 15 years. <laughs> I haven't seen Annihilation. I think oh. I would like it. Oh, we should watch it for this, because I'm in, I would be interested to hear your takes, because... But like, why did I see Annihilation? I love Ale- I love Alex Garland's like, I love his weirdness. But also, like Natalie Portman's in it, so I'm like, of course I'm going to see this movie. Yeah, I Dev Devs was interesting because I found it pretty good. Yeah, I was 
there were parts of it that I found very deeply moving, yeah. uh, like sur- the surreality of, well, here is our weird spoilers for devs coming up, like yeah. looking back into the past and yeah. we get like a grainy voice and sound of Jesus on the fucking cross. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there for that part of it. I was the least there for that. Um, yeah. No, I'm not <laughs> no thank you, Jesus imagery on my TV. <laughs> but, but there's a... I think a show that asks some of the same questions of devs, but in a better way, is another show that we both share, and that is we both have enjoyed Severance uh, in terms of relatively recent TV. Totally, and I have not finished Severance because, like, sort of similarly, that show is, like, I loved Escape from Danamora, which was Ben Stiller's last show that he directed. And I love, I love Adam Scott. And I just think he makes such fascinating choices um, in terms of projects he's involved in. So, like, that's why I watched that. But I don't know that I would have watched Severance had it not been for them. But I do, like, I I really appreciate it. I, I think, like... I don't think Severance has the same right if if something that you're drawn to is like beautiful and terrible there is obviously a degree of like that split in Severance but I yeah. don't think it's as like the terrible is not as terrible and the beautiful is not as beautiful right like yeah I think And that's- so I think part of why I can be drawn to that is like, because it's not as aggressive a split. And I would even argue that like, if you put that lens to young Pope, you get a version of that too, because like, I don't want to watch a lot of TV where like, I don't want to watch TV where it's just like rich people riching about. (laughs) I don't want to watch TV where people are in aggressive costumes. And I don't, unless it's like, wait a second, wait a second. aggressive costumes like like like, no sorry like aggressive costumes but it's like real life it's like aggressive costumes but it's game of thrones like yeah because this is a fantasy property or like aggressive costumes but it's marvel it's like yeah this is ridiculous but i don't want to watch Catholicism if not a fantasy property fair um (laughs) fair and one of the things that i love about young pope is the way in which Paulo Sorrentino is the creator and showrunner, um, and I believe directed some, if not all, of the episodes. Is the way in which it accepts and then dramatizes to the level of absurdity or surrealism mm-hmm. Catholicism itself. Yeah, and I'm here for that. I'm here for like I think that that show, and to some extent, but a lesser extent, the new Pope. So the, essentially the second season yeah. where Malkovich comes in um, and Malkovich is about is also on the same wavelength, including the very final scene of the new Pope where I was bawling my eyes out and laughing so hard in a way I had never experienced watching anything before. So here's a question. Did you grow up with a religion? I, like, was lapsed Catholic. Like, we were Christmas and Easter Catholics growing up. Okay. So, I would be interested to maybe, and maybe we do a a season of this for this, but, like, I would be interested in your your Stiesel takes. Like, Stiesel, which is, like, the show about the ultra-Orthodox. It's on Netflix. It's, like, Mm -hmm. ultra-Orthodox in Jerusalem. I would be interested 
on your takes on that because there, especially the first season, there's like a ton of kind of like weird absurdity. And I would, I would call this like the TV, the Israeli TV version of Andy and Chris's director bullshit. Okay. Love. I love director bullshit. I know. And I'm like, I couldn't identify things that are director bullshit normally. But it doesn't have the, like, Catholicism piece, but it does have, like, a lot of... It's, like, essentially an intense commentary on this very particular population that's Jewish. So I would be interested to see, like, where the takes are are drawing in your... your, Not necessarily past, but, like, your familiarity Mm -hmm. and and where they aren't and, like, if it extends beyond that. That's a good question. I mean, well, let me then return a question to you mm-hmm. about the young Pope in particular. You didn't love the fucking kangaroo that just like haunts the no, of the Vatican. I mean, come on, Danielle, what a monster! Here's the thing. <laughs> I'm trying to think of another show where like I had a similar. Can I make an analogy while you're thinking of that yeah, show? Yeah, yeah. The kangaroo is to the young Pope as the potato is to season one of the Americans. <laughs> <laughs> Except not for reasons we're actually we do plan to get okay. into here in a little bit, but that's the analogy I would make. Fair. I think I have to think about. Yeah, I have to think about the young pope a little bit more. I never watched the new pope because I'm like it's not as good, but there are some moments that reach the transcendence that I ascribe to the first season. Yeah, and and, so, and some aesthetic choices that Sorrentino makes where he like doubles and triples and quadruples down on the aesthetic just like flourishes of the first season. Well, and it's also like the aesthetic flourishes of the first season are the thing I have the least time for. So some of it, I'm like, like I, you know, like the, like the babies, like some of it, I'm just like, this is wild. So in the second season, there is it focuses to some extent on a group of nuns in the Vatican. Okay. And in their, like, convent bedroom, and it's just, like, the rows of beds, whatever, they're in their habits or whatever. style. Uh, exactly. And there's a neon, extremely neon, gigantic cross at one end of the room where there just occasionally is breaking out into, like, strain, into, like, dances, like, pop dances. Uh, to the to the neon cross in the convent. The thing I have the most trouble with in the young pope is like all of the Christianity stuff. <laughs> but there's nothing Christian, right? I will, well, the Christianity is not the thing that Sorrentino is most interested in when he has. I don't think the nuns dance to the neon no. Cross but I the, like the presence of a cross. So like I maybe this is too much, but like there's this coffee shop that i work in that you know down the street from me i can't wait to visit worcester and and see this coffee shop in person oh man i feel like that when i'm if we walk in together they'll be so excited that i've like brought a friend with me (laughs) anyway and i yesterday yesterday, podcast live from the coffee shop down the street why are you spending so much money on scratch-offs when you could spend money on other things? <laughs> it's, like, really tough for me. Um, but I noticed yesterday that on, like, one of the coffee machines, there's, like, a faded picture of Mary, and I'm like, can I ever come here again? <laughs> mm-hmm. I just, like, the imagery... One of the things I, I appreciate about Judaism is like the lack of doubling down on crazy imagery and the and the versions of Judaism that are a little too obsessed with like 
the Rebbe, I'm like, this is too Christian for me. <laughs> that makes sense. And that would also make sense why maybe many of Sorrentino's aesthetic choices for yeah. the young Pope so even on you to some extent. Yeah. So even the you saying, like, there's a neon cross in this room, I'm like, how could you ever sleep? I have the uh, one of my one of my uncles, um, one of my uncles and aunts. They're they're very Catholic. Like they sent their kids, to, like my cousins, to Catholic school, and they had this room in their old house. They live in a different house now. They had this room in their old house, which is like where we used to sleep when we slept over when we were little kids, and it had this like Mary statue, and I. <laughs> Like at some point started to refuse to go there because I'm like, they're going to make me sleep in the Mary room. And I just like couldn't. Do- I was like six. Yeah. So that would, you know. Like, no, yeah. thank and you. Then, and, and again, like I, you know, I would not, I would classify the neon cross in the nun's room and the new, and the new Pope as first aesthetic play and excess yeah and weirdness in secondarily christian and i wouldn't be able to get past the christian part of it all right so there are i've i think there are two directions for us to go and one is one is more meta and one is more concrete where where should we start do you want to start concrete and go a little bit and then go meta Sure. So the concrete question, and this is the one thing that I specifically said we would get into yeah. today. This is so. the only tease I got. <laughs> Given our divergence in taste when it comes to TV and pop culture illustrated by all of the things we've talked about, what do you think it is about the Americans that resonates with our shared taste? Yeah, I think it's two things. One, I think it's like we can both find the versions of escape that we appreciate within this show. But, can I stop us there to yeah. explore that? What do you think that version of escape is? Because I have wrestled since first this this take first appearing as if from the ether in my brain uh, months ago whether or not Americans fits perfectly within this theory yeah. or it is a absolute exception to it because and and whether or not it is excessive is the fulcrum upon which the answer depends so i think that the version of escape that i find in this show is the like spy craft no cell phones like the the both like the the past of it like so the period stuff that i'm like i don't care about it actually like plays a role here because it like it allows us to detach right and to to be in this world and for it to not be for it to be totally different than the world we live in so it's like a form of escape and then i think for you and this comes through in the discussions we have like i don't pay attention to like camera angles, music drops. Like I, I pay attention to like wigs and leg warmers, but like, I think that you in the eighties of it all are able to find the aesthetic, like beautiful, terrible, not at its height for you, but like in, in versions of the aesthetic choices that are made as a function of the, like the eighties and the spy of it all. I think that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think the way that I would answer that, what do we share or how, where is the excess in that show builds on what you just said, that I think there's something about the oftentimes absurd plot dynamics that 
I can get into as part of my excess and you can get into as part of your excess. Yeah. Like the constant ratcheting up of stakes, the constant yeah. giant problem to solve, the fact that we have these two super spies and like, yes, it was based on a real program that the KGB and yeah. then FSB had. Um, but nonetheless, there's something about Philip and Elizabeth and what they are able to do and accomplish in the Washington DC greater region yeah. that is so absurd that it, tips over into a kind of excess or you and I can both take it in as a kind of excess yeah. in that more muted way that you talked about, like yeah. the beautiful, terrible might function for me. Yeah. And I, so I think the second point is that also, and so maybe it like both totally fits into this theory and it challenges some of the theory because I think the other thing, and I think, again, this is telling in the way that we structure episodes, mm -hmm. is, like, we pretend that, like, we're not doing political theory for, like, the first 40 <laughs> minutes of the episodes. When in reality, like, we're talking about patriarchy, violence, vulnerability, uh, uh, pick your poison. And we're always doing, like, we're, we're pilling on these themes through the plot yes. and the character relationships yeah. and whatever. But, like, I think the other piece of this is we, because we like to talk about political theory things with each other without it being like your standard texts in political theory Correct. and the standard form of political theory. I think this is a show that enables us to do that. So I don't know if that fits into the theory that you have. Um, but I think that that is another thing. And I, 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 I think like, I wonder what happens with the next show that we do, right? Like Same. I wonder what happens. Same. I'm very intrigued and that'll happen very soon, actually. So we won't have to, we will not be in suspense as to that question for nearly as long as you were in suspense about this theory. I was in suspense about this theory today. for like literally since February, February. I think yeah, you texted me. I think me. February. Um, yeah. Ugh, the Americans is such a good show. Um, <laughs> and, and also I think that there are, Perhaps, and maybe just one, but for me, there's like maybe some genre exceptions to my general tastes. And I'm basically always here for a spy piece of something. Like I unironically enjoy James Bond movies, a show wow. that I don't think we've ever mentioned on the podcast before, but that, you know, I, I absolutely love and would rank very, very highly in like all time shows um, up there with the Americans is Le Bureau, mm -hmm. which I watched thanks to the watch podcast, thanks um, to the boys, among other things, uh, probably primarily them. You know, I like grew up and I read Tom Clancy bullshit and I read betters than that, like Frederick Forsyth, John McCarthy in particular. So I... like, I, I like spy stuff. That's a, that's a pop culture okay. area that maybe enables an exception. Maybe it's not an exception. Yeah. a genre that will basically always get me in. Well, and I think like me too, right? So like my, yeah, my like real entry into the MCU is Captain America and the Winter Soldier, which is the second Captain America movie, which is effectively a spy thriller. Like that's what... Which if you'd be willing to like do a lot of background explaining is maybe something we should do for the podcast. Oh, we should. And it doesn't really require that much. Right. It doesn't require nearly as much background explaining as, um, <laughs> as the Black Widow movie. <laughs> cool. 
Cool. Um, what you explained very efficiently, as we are on record saying on this podcast. I'll take it. But also, like, there's – I had never seen any other – I had maybe seen, like, Guardians of the Galaxy, which at that point, like, wasn't really connected. Um, but, yeah. So I, I'm with you. I like spy stuff, which we've talked about, like, off the pod as well. I also really like time travel. So this was something I wanted to say. It's not exactly mm. about Severance, but this is something that I appreciate about Devs, where it's like a weird and wild version of... Yeah. It's not exactly time travel, but like there is a sort of time travel dimension of it all. And so, yeah, I like time travel, which is part of what I like about the MCU as it's growing now, is like they're now dipping into like multiversal storytelling and the multi what's the what's the multiverse if not another name for time travel right like d- meeting other selves like different timelines different different planets right so like in the mcu like the standard timeline is like earth 616 but like what happens when we go to earth like 983 or whatever it is or 938 so like i like time i like spy stuff and i like time travel and i think like i also i mean i unapologetically love all of this IP stuff, it makes sense to me that, like, your IP ban lifts for James Bond. Because? Because it is, it, like, it's, like, it's, like, my prestige TV ban lifts for Jude Law. Like, your IP ban lifts for James Bond because it's, like, it is mostly not about the world building. It's just about the plot of the film that we're in. Yeah. And it is excess qua camp. Yeah, yeah. Or the Daniel Craig ones is the uh, for them. I would say it's excess qua camp and intentionally so. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that that's right. Um, and this is where like all our most of our very our, all of our shared podcasting world comes together. And like Skyfall is a great is like just a purely great film. Period. Even outside of the James Bondness of it all. So, do you work for the Ringer? <laughs> they can look i could maybe be uh convinced to accept daniel x uh blood money um from joe rogan Um, i i would work for the ringer in a in a second if they would have us gotta show me the dollar signs that attach to it i I can be bought but like it's not an automatic yes oh i'm like (laughs) one million percent i want to hang out with all these people anyway (laughs) Moving on. I think something that is part of the theory is that I suspect you and I, as part of, we both like excess, but different kinds of excess would define spectacle and film and TV Mm -hmm. differently. So what is that approach to TV and film or that concept in an aesthetic sense entail for you? And I have an answer if you'd like me to go first while you think, because obviously I was able to prep this. Yeah, I want to hear what you have to... I have a sense, but I want to hear what you have to say. Okay. I'm going to defer once again to uh, Cut to Black. So this is that I'm talking about the... Can I spoil a Breaking Bad episode for you? I'm never, I'm never going to watch it. I'm okay. literally never going to watch it. Okay, Not so even spoiler, spoiler for season, I believe this is two, maybe it's three, of Breaking Bad. So... Uh, Walter White 
through a series of events, basically causes a plane crash in midair that then falls all over Albuquerque. And so and the cut to black episode Wild. where they're talking about this, uh, this development, this episode in particular where this happens, but also the surrounding mechanisms. This is, I believe this was uh, Shanti Collins here quote. This is the kind of thing I respond to a lot in cinema of all kinds, but spectacle is, or should, or can be spectacle is a way of conveying through extraordinary imagery, the extraordinary heights and depths that are emotion of our emotional experience it does so in a visual vocabulary that goes beyond our everyday ability to articulate these emotions and these feelings. It makes them real in a way that standing around and talking about it or something less surreal just isn't capable of handling. And there's a way in which <laughs> when we stick to like, again, this, the, the sublime to be particularly obnoxious about it no, or, you. or, or an avant-garde read of that or a, inscrutable, beautiful, terrible weirdness version of that for me is the kind, at least the kind of spectacle that I want and the kind of spectacle that I'm drawn to in TV and film. Right. My guess is that you, my hypothesis is that you would define spectacle differently. Yeah. First, I want to start by saying I am not interested in the sublime being in my TV shows. (laughs) Like, okay. Again, like that (laughs) helps explain why young Pope was not, didn't particularly mean much to you. Yeah. I mean, I liked it and, and, and was impressed by it, but I'm just like, I, and, and I think I I can't, I can't remember if I said this to you before, but like, like when people recommend nonfiction books to me, I'm like, I literally do that for a living, right? Like my work is about like grief and rage and Greek tragedy and like, and it's trying very hard to never deal with Kant. <laughs> it's a good goal in life. I, I think I'm so far so good. <laughs> <laughs> That's like maybe my greatest aporia in my political theory knowledge is Kant. I would say mostly same, but like I know where that black hole pulls, you know, like I know. It's nowhere I want to go. No, no. But like, I know the, I know the concepts around it. And I'm like, I'm not trying to get anywhere near those. Like, I don't want to be in that black hole. Like get out of here. So like, I appreciate the definition of and description of spectacle that you just put out there. And I totally get why that is a thing you're interested in. And I, for me, spectacle, so one, I'm like not interested in having to think too hard while I'm watching TV. And I think that that is like. Is that a more parsimonious version of the theory? Possibly. However, and maybe this is also like where the spy stuff comes in and why it's interesting to both of us is like, you're fine with thinking too hard. And, like, in fact, you want, like, I would maybe say, like, you like being challenged by by these shows in oh, different a ways. a billion percent. And I'm like, but give me Emily in Paris. <laughs> can I offer a, an addendum to I want to be challenged? Yeah. I actually don't necessarily want to think too much. I want, yeah. I want to be challenged emotionally and aesthetically yeah. first. And sure, maybe at some point down the line I will intellectualize all of that. Yeah. But I I want the more primary visceral affective challenge. Yeah, and I I like for me spectacle when it comes. So one, I don't want it to feel like homework because I do that all the time and like live in that world. 
And then the second part of it for me is that the spectacle is connected to the watching of something together and being able to theorize, which is like, I, I love the, like the, I love to watch a Marvel TV show and then listen to like three recap podcasts about it. Cause I'm like, what are we all talking about? Like, what's the thing that I, as like, not a, like an obsessive comics reader, like that I didn't know, like, what else can I know? And so it's like, I don't want to think too hard, but I also like want to learn things while I am like enjoying this like aesthetic experience, right? Like my, the, the affect I most want to associate with TV is like, enjoyment, right? Like is, is just a, just like, I want to be excited about the thing that's happening on screen because I like want it to, I want like a lot of people to like it and I want to, I want it to do well because I want to have more of it. So that's the excess that I want. Mm, That makes sense to me. And it makes sense to me that, and this, you should certainly drag me over uh, (laughs) about is I'm very content to say I enjoyed this film or TV show, but I didn't particularly like it. Right. And like that, and like, let's be honest, like when I watched Loki, that was kind of more or less my, my experience of it is that like, I enjoyed watching it. I make some jokes about queer temporality and then like, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh, Dear listeners, I do just want to let everybody know that John and I were talking about something. This is like after I had, after I think after I had recommended Loki and maybe you hadn't watched all of it yet. And I was like, I don't understand queer temporality. And you're like, you literally just explained it. It's Loki. (laughs) Like you do understand it. You just didn't understand it with that label. But trust, trust us, listeners, when we get into Loki soon enough. Soon uh, enough. Actually, very, very soon, based on when folks will listen to this as opposed to when we're yeah. recording it. Fair. Um, like, probably in the next week or two uh, to the listeners. Yes. Um, we, will, we will certainly get into this. But, like, I – yeah, the, the what is the kind of fan reaction to it is, I think, another element of all of this. Yeah. Because I – um, and, and this is something that has changed, I think, in the way that I want to watch or experience TV. I think I have become less interested in the quote-unquote puzzle box-ness yeah. of it. And I, I really enjoyed Lost. I did not watch it, like, as it came out. I watched it a little bit later. Like, okay. I think I probably watched it in the late aughts all, you know, over the course of a few months or whatever. But I haven't, for instance, to get into a conversation that I think – Joanna Robinson and Sean Fennessy were having on a podcast about Severance. Yeah. I did not experience Severance as a puzzle box show. Yeah. I experienced as primarily as a, as a an, aesthetic, an aesthetic experience and B, a critique of capitalism. Yeah. And sure, there were some puzzle box interests and things and I could theorize, but I didn't actually want to do any of that. And like, I didn't care what Reddit had to say about Severance in the slightest. Yeah, that's interesting because I think, like, I experienced Severance as part puzzle box, part, like, critique of capitalism, and, like, a very small part aesthetic experience. Yeah, like, I don't – spectacle for me is not about, like, camera angles and, like, the, like, the juxtaposition of beautiful and terrible, but instead it's it's about, like, ooh – 
this, the Thor trailer for Thor Love and Thunder has like the splash page from like a pretty famous Thor comic. Like that's interesting to me. The, the ability to recreate that and for it to like potentially be meaningful within the MCU coming from the comic. Like I'm excited about that. Like the, the fact that Wanda getting all of these powers in WandaVision means that like, we might have a version of Wanda that like in comics that I, that I am familiar with, like, and and maybe we're going to get more magic in the MCU than than we have gotten so far. Like that's exciting to me, right? And I think like, she's the villain in Doctor Strange. Do I understand this correctly? Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, though I have Which like I will not see for the if, if our audience couldn't have guessed it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, when can I go see it again? I saw it literally <laughs> opening day, um, like at 3:30 p.m. So that's where we're at. Yeah, so spectacle for me is about the, I think like a little bit more the one like the physical experience of it mm-hmm. with and the with others of it all, and I think that that's not I, like I I I think that that's not absent for you, but that's yeah. definitely not primary. Yeah, I think that that's the right way to put it. In part because I'm after somewhat, and this is odd, I think, given a number of other theoretical and political commitments that I hold, but I want, like, I would not have wanted to watch Station Eleven, I don't think, with another person. Interesting. Present. Um, And I should say, like, that is a show that I basically found myself bawling in every single episode that I watched, like that was one of the most emotionally affecting shows and experiences of watching anything I've ever had in my life for a number of reasons. And I think that could be a good show for us to talk about. So I'm not going to yeah. get into it. And I think you would like it as well. Um, Cause it's about tragedy and how we respond to grief and loss. Um, but maybe it's, it's too close to home. Um, no, it's definitely, I mean, it's on my list, but it's also like, uh, it came out this semester and I was like, I'm only watching fun show. I'll just watch Emily yeah. in Paris again. <laughs> like I'll just watch sex education for the 75th time. And I mean, conveniently you and I believe Tori are going to Kate. Paris and Caitlin are going to Paris to, to, to reenact Emily in Paris mm-hmm. this summer. Our shared Google doc for planning is called Emily in Paris. And <laughs> um, every time like, I like she booked something and I Venmo her for it. I like, so Kate booked tickets to see six, uh, like in the West end. And, uh, so I, I, (laughs) the Venmo was Emily in London. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I think there's one more big topic that I kind of had in mind for us to talk about. Okay. I'm sure there's plenty of other things. And that is a couple different ways to frame this. So it's essentially a question about Disney. It's about the MCU plus Star Wars. Okay. Watch to go back to the very beginning of the of our discussion is in part a political economy of the industry mm-hmm. dynamic. And then also is an aesthetic dynamic that is not disconnected from, but perhaps somewhat analytically separable from the political economy of the industry. Okay. And just in terms of our differing relationships, and here it's not only to the MCU as we've explored, but also like I basically did not like Book of Boba Fett, for instance. And I believe you had, you didn't love it, but had a better experience with it. 
because I like fundamentally disliked it. So if if um the cut to black podcast is like your urtex for these things, not always, but I like sometimes Andy Greenwald is the is the one I go to. Um, though it's usually more Joanna Robinson and Mallory Rubin and Jason Concepcion, like that conglomerate of present and past ringer folks. Um, but Andy said something about, I can't remember what this was about, but his description was like, Hey, I'm with my friends. Uh, My friends are back. Like I'm with, I'm with my friends again. And it's like less about the like quality. I wish that he would come back to this take because I like, that is how I thought about Book of Boba Fett. It's like, oh, I'm like back in this world again. I like being in this world. I like I like the world building they're doing, even if I don't always think it's successful. So yeah, I didn't love Book of Boba Fett, but people were like real up in arms about it. And I'm like, nope, seems fine. <laughs> I wasn't up in arms about it. I just think it was bad. <laughs> oh, so I don't think it was bad. I just don't think that, one, I don't think that it was for me. Like I put it on for my dad last night. When I got back here and like, he's like, oh yeah, cool. Like Boba Fett, I had that action figure. And it's like, yeah, like it's for my dad, you know? And I think like most dads are not Andy and Chris, like trying to puzzle box a show that doesn't really have a puzzle box. They're just like, oh, cool. Like I loved Boba Fett in, when I got the action figure and like when it, when he was on the Star Wars like holiday special, which I've seen a lot of times. I've never seen it. Oh, it is. And, and, like, I grew up, like, I probably saw, you know, between whatever childhood ages, I saw Return of the Jedi probably, like, at least a dozen, 15, 20 times. Well. That was my, like, go-to childhood rewatch. You, once I once I, I once I progressed from uh, the Lion King, when I got a little bit older, my, like, rewatch was, uh, let's go to Blockbuster and get Return of the Jedi again. Do you want to know what mine was? No, I I, I want to know. My actually is something we should do for this podcast, and maybe Uh-oh. I've already said it to you. It's Return to Oz. Huh? I've never seen Return to Oz. Don't worry, it's on Disney Plus. I watched it this week because it like <laughs> came up in conversation with someone. I can't remember who, and I texted my sisters to be like, "Guys, I'm watching Return to Oz tonight," and they were appalled. They're like. That actually is, like, there are, I wouldn't say horror, but, like, it's a fever dream. Like, it's a... I'm here, here for fever dreams. Yeah, I think, I think you would appreciate it. I am... I was obsessed with this movie. We, I, like, watched it so many... My grandparents had a house out in Shelter Island, which is, like, this island, like, in between the forks on Long Island. And I'm pretty sure that I rented the VHS copy of Return to Oz so many times that it like burnt out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. I, I've taken us off track, but Return to Oz, I mean, I might even watch it again today. So Yeah, and I don't think we've ever actually talked about what did you make of the most recent trilogy in Star Wars? <sighs> Loved The Force Awakens. I loved The Last Jedi. I'm not surprised that that is something that we share, albeit it's probably for different reasons. Yeah. And then I was frustrated in a lot of ways by um, Rise of Skywalker, but, like, still saw it in the theaters four times. 
and like have watched it recently because like I don't think it's the best of the trilogy. I, it's actually like frustrating the, the, the like the way they walk back the last Jedi stuff for fan service is like super frustrating but there are some I would use a harsher word than frustrating, but yes. Yeah, but I'm also like again, I'm like I like being in this world. I wouldn't have made these choices, but some of some of them allow for like does Palpatine does Rain need to be a Palpatine? Somehow. Somehow Palpatine is back. Yeah, like I didn't even need Palpatine in the original in like the um <laughs> in the prequel trilogy. Like I'm not interested in this, but like do I love the fight where like Ray and Kylo Kylo I'm like Adam driver. It's like the only thing in my head where like they're Fair. passing the lightsaber back and forth, but they're not in the same place. Like some of the stuff that it enables is just like amazing. And also like, you know, I've watched all of rebels and all of clone wars. And so like having, you know, the actors who play those, the Jedi from those shows, like Freddie Prince Jr. For example, like be some of the voices that Ray hears being like, we're here with you. We're here with you. Like those are moments that I just like love because I love it. I love the coming together of it all. So I like, didn't love rise of Skywalker, but like there were parts of that movie where I was just like, I want a whole movie about this. So, yeah. Cause it's all like, I just, I'm, Oh, we're back in this world. We're I'm back with my friends. Right. Like, and we're just going to be here for two and a half hours. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I guess probably not a, not a thing that I seek out. Like, like, like for instance, I have z- literally zero interest in watching the Sopranos prequel movie that came out last year. None. I mean, the Sopranos is I potentially the best show ever. And I fully agree with that very common take, but like no desire whatsoever to see the original prequel and like the hanging out in the universe. And again, maybe this is, this is, you know, explain one of the things that explains my lack of interest in book of Boba Fett, you know, like I think the Mandalorian is pretty good. I don't think it's incredible or transcendent in any form. Um, You know, and of course I liked the last Jedi the most out of the, out of the trilogy and was like entertained, but, didn't particularly like either of the other two. Um, yeah. Although it's, it's, it's interesting just because this is, this episode is also a meta commentary on my parasocial relationship with Shanti Collins, but the last Jedi is maybe the thing that Shanti Collins and I most diverge on. He despises it. Is he a star Wars fan? Yeah. Yeah. So I think I like a smart star Wars fan with, yeah, but I also would say like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you're not a Star Wars fan. You're not not a Star Wars fan, but, like, you wouldn't yeah, say I'm a Star Wars fan. Whereas, like... That's the right way to put it, yes. I listen to a couple of Star Wars podcasts. <laughs> I mean, I listen to, like, when uh, Mallory Rubin and... No, 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 no. Like, uh, I, I mean, like... Like, I listen to, like, the Whoppers, the Whoppers layer and, like, like, like regularly, right? So, yeah. like... And I wouldn't even, like, my fandom... Star Wars is not my first fandom, first and foremost, at all. But I think, like, on the spectrum of you and I, like, I'm more of a Star Wars fan than you are, which, like, to me, that makes sense why, like, you could diverge with Shanti Collins on this point, because, like, I bet that, like, part of his identity is being a Star Wars fan, and I just don't, that's not part of your identity. Yeah, I I, I buy that. Um, I buy that. Yeah, I mean, 
There's and there's a lot of places. I think that you said earlier. I forget what this was in reference to specifically. I think it was actually talking about spectacle, which is an interesting turn back mm-hmm. to this. Then that part of it is the experience for you of doing the theorizing or the appreciation of the world building in conversation or listening, i.e. podcast, listening conversation Mm -hmm. with others. And like the, you, I think captured it perfectly that, you know, I listened to, I think the first book of Boba Fett, Joanna Robinson, Mallory Rubin episode. And I like both of them, even if like our tastes diverge in some way, like I usually enjoy listening to them, but like that was not for me. Yeah. Like them on Book of Boba Fett was just not for me at all. But I was like, you should listen to the Midnight Boys because... Yeah, because they liked it less. (laughs) Yeah. Like they're they're way bigger haters. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I mean, and you know, Van Lathan liked it more than Charles Holmes did, obviously. That's the, I mean, Charles Um, doesn't like anything. (laughs) who is my favorite of the, you know what Charles Holmes likes a lot? Atlanta and Atlanta. Is That's fair. And, and like, I'm, I think of all the things more I'm, than Van Lathan, actually, I'm least averse to like watching Atlanta. Um, and part of that is because I am impressed by Donald Glover. Yeah. Like he's not like all of them, right? Like I'm in, I'm like, Keith but, Stanfield, like maybe the greatest living actor in uh, my own opinion. Well, I'm like pretty on board with that. But my thing is like, what's he going to be in the MCU? Like I want him in the MCU. Oh God. I, I hope, <laughs> I, I hope and pray. I hope that like Keith Stanfield gets, gets many bags and I hope none of them ever come from Star Wars or the MCU. Like I, I, that's that's maybe one of our most fundamental divergences is <laughs> right. I want to protect every single right, actor right, from right, ever right. having to enter the MCU. Like, please, can we just get them shit ton amount of money and so that they can just make good stuff and like uh, non MCU stuff. I so <laughs> one of my favorite actresses is uh, Charlize Theron. Um, and there's, she, she's in like the four, the fourth of 19 uh, post credit trailers in Strange. Yes. She's in the first one. There are only two. Okay. Um, but like she is playing this like real, no, I wouldn't say obscure, but like this bonkers character that's like Strange's girlfriend from i think the dark realm it's just like it's it's a wild but i was like so excited to see her show up but part of what i love about Charlize theron is like she'll make something she'll jump into the fast franchise like which is another franchise i'm obsessed with (laughs) i've literally seen zero fast and furious i don't think that would be interesting for us to talk about because it's just like i just sometimes like need a good action film and it's like the the least thinking involved right like the least thinking involved is fast and the furious (laughs) um but then she'll make like long shot which is just such a sweet fun romantic comedy right so like and she'll make Mad Max Fury Road, which is like is IP, but also is like a transgressive version of IP. So like, I, I guess what's one of the things you just listed that I really, really enjoy and have a lot of time for the, the Mad Max Fury Road. Yes, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Well, also like I think right, like you love a dystopian comedy, a dystopian commentary on society. Correct. <laughs> Which, like, it's another place where our our tastes could yes. line up, right? Yes. 
because a dystopian commentary on society could be a fun action film. It could not really require a lot of thinking because to get at those critiques is actually not that tough. And it could be a vehicle for like stars that I'm interested in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Protect, please protect Wiki Stanfield. From <laughs> I'm like, you. I'm like, could he be like somewhere in the like Harry, Harry Styles universe? <laughs> Oh god. Um. Like <laughs> Harry Styles and Lakeith Stanfield in the same like I don't know what character Lakeith would play, but I would be so here for that team up. Anyway, you're like I'm gonna vomit from this take at all, so let's move on to something else. <laughs> yeah, so I I think I have one more MCU question, and here I'm just literally regurgitating critiques that others have made because I have it. not seen enough of them. Um or I mean, or or perhaps secondly, we could talk about Black Panther if you want to. Um, but like one, I think common critique of the MCU is that it is so incredibly desexualized. Yeah, and like that's a thing that I also am like not particularly interested in. Yeah, I think that this is like part of my own privilege as like a straight heterosexual cisgender like white woman is like you're absolutely right. And I think that critique is absolutely right. However, like, because I'm not at the movies for critique or like for challenging for the most part, though, the dystopian stuff, like there's a different flavor of that. And I would say that that grows directly out of my love for the Republic (laughs) and (laughs) the giver. Um, But anyway, I once had an undergrad write about the Republic and the giver. I mean, they're the same. And like, I was very, I was, yes. And also I was like very excited that she thought of this on her own terms and wanted to write about it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like, again, like it's, it's like one part, my own privilege and like one part not wanting to think and not wanting to, I'm not like at the movies for critique though. Sometimes I can be an M there for that. Yeah. But like, that's not the main thing that, that gets me there is like, that is, I think that that set of critiques is spot on though, as I have argued in my own academic work, there is like a critical lens that we can bring to the MCU of the ways in which it is doing some uh, challenging, whether intentional or unintentional, doing some challenging of some of the more like heteronormative or heteropatriarchal norms that exist. See my chapter on the Avengers as a family assemblage. Yeah. And like that takes... We have to do that work for ourselves. Correct, yeah. However, like, the building blocks of that work are there. So, and I think, like, to to come back to your earlier point about Black Panther and, like, Killmonger was right. It's like, yeah, because, like, the, in the, in not just the MCU, but in Marvel, in Marvel properties, the radical take is always the villain, right? So, like... The idea that Killmonger as like the sort of like we shouldn't acquiesce to to like these demands, right? Like it 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 shouldn't have been this way. Is this is effectively a similar take of like the sort of like Charles Xavier Magneto divide, and like we know that like 
Charles Xavier is based. One of the two of us know. I know nothing. Oh, okay. Sorry. (laughs) So like X-Men, right? So Charles Xavier, head of X-Men, Magneto, like friends with Charles Xavier, but like opposed to, so Charles Xavier is like, we're going to integrate. We're going to like integrate into society and we're going to like show people that we're actually like useful for society. And Magneto's like, fuck your integration, like, fuck your, fuck your, like, you know, like, being folded in, like, society needs to change to, like, not only see who we are, but celebrate mutants. And it's effectively a commentary, often parallels drawn between uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. And I would say that that's actually, like, a, like, the, the, the distance the facile reading of King, but yeah, exactly. It's the standard social reading of King. Yeah. Exactly. But it's like the, the, it's like the reading you get of King in your high school. Right. So sure. like, mm-hmm. if that's the thing that is motivating this, then it makes sense. Yeah. Right. So like, I think we can see that same, like, ref- you know, it's reform versus revolution, right? You can see that it's, same. It's, growth. it's gay marriage or abolish the institution of marriage. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right? And so like, that's also the T'Challa Killmonger divide. It's reform versus revolution, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's mm-hmm. gay marriage abolish the family. It's UN or black nationalism. Exactly. Granted, Mar- Malcolm was like, let's do both. Um, right. but, you know, and I would say like Martin Luther King time. also, not necessarily on that, but like Correct. also had much more radical Correct. views than we. A billion percent. But like in, in Marvel properties, the more, uh, I would say palatable take is often given to the heroes and the more like, which takes us back to the political economy of it. Correct. Exactly. And so like, again, like we have to do that, like the work of like transgression ourselves. But I would argue that oftentimes that like the, the building blocks of transgression like are there. I mean, and they're they're there in Black Panther. I can't speak to whether they're there elsewhere. Yeah, I trust I trust your academic work, so I trust your reading of the family. Now, are sure. they often like the villain? Yes, but they're still there. So, like, <laughs> I, I, is that is that better or is that worse <laughs> than if they weren't there? Both and right. Like we're both getting them, correct. but we're 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 being told that we shouldn't like them, but they're still there. So. We'll we'll link to Christopher LeBron's piece on yeah. Black Panther, which is brilliant writing by a political theorist about film. I believe um, it for sure. Chris LeBron is pretty brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, I have one more kind of major topic, non MCU category. Okay. For us to get into, and then I but there might be other stuff too, and that is how Game of Thrones fits into this yeah. and the upcoming House of the Dragon. So we're recording like a couple of days after the trailer for a new trailer for yeah. House of the Dragon came out. Um, and then obviously the question of the relationship between Game of Thrones to a Song of Ice and Fire. And so if I if if I'm a part of a fandom of any kind, yeah. I am, would say I am part of a Song of Ice and Fire fandom. Okay. Uh, to the extent that, like, I was out on the shows after a couple of seasons, because I'm like, I'll, I'll wait till George R. R. Martin finishes more books. Or You not. and Sean Hanley. Sean Hanley was I, out I when they didn't rip this. Tyrion's nose off his face. <laughs> great decision by Sean Hanley. 
Um, I think eventually he came back for the ice dragon, but like he was out on, on Tyrion. Yeah. So, I mean, Game of Thrones is an, is an interesting thing to think about because it, it's, it's your point is like world building fantasy. Mm -hmm. The books are more subversive, although that gets overplayed about how subversive (sighs) the books are. I mean, I think, yeah. You know, I mean, one, I think perhaps one, you know, divide or one thing that kind of, you know, uh, belies my approach to something like this is that, of the f- sequels to Game Game of Thrones, right? There was the Long Night, which was going to be weird and strange and go back a thousand years. Yeah. Or there's, and that was shelved, right? Uh, and then now we get House of the Dragon, which is like, what if there were more dragons and more Targaryens, and like we give you more of what you want, and like you hang out not with your friends, but the predecessors to your friends, yeah. to use that rubric. And you know, it's it's obvious what. Sh- prequel slash sequel i would want them yeah. to make which is the long night yeah um and you know i'm i i will watch every second of house yeah. of the dragon i've you know, i've read fire and blood like you yeah know, i like i said a song of ice and fire is the fandom that i am you know a part of more or less even if a yeah. quiet part of it yeah i'm like oh cool and, and there's no question or point no no throw it to you and be like what do you think about game of thrones slash yeah, yeah, yeah. fire in relation to the conversation we've been having i'm and this again like i think you're you're wanting the long night is logically consistent and i'm like i'll be fine with either because like i'm all for more of this world and i probably would want house of the dragon more than i would want the long night though like i was very into like getting more of the like children of the forest you know like yeah like i do like the weird stuff within the the fandoms that i am in um yeah i think like i want the i want both of them i want more of them and i also want them to to be well done so i'm like yeah and I've read the the books of A Song of Ice and Fire, but it's interesting because, like, similar to my relationship to the MCU, I have – I like it when the stuff comes together. So, like, I, I, like, loved The Red Wedding and I loved – like, that felt like such a huge payoff. Um, but I'm also like, yeah, this is going to be different because it's a different medium. And, and there's like, and, and so like, I don't expect when people, when people about the MCU are like, oh, like that wasn't really House of M or like, it wasn't this, it wasn't that, it wasn't this thing I wanted it to be. It's like, you gotta like, it's different. You gotta be okay with it being something different and like the product being different because of the form that it takes. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so so. that's how I feel about a song of ice and fire and, and the game of Thrones universe too, which is like, I'm excited for when the overlap is there and it's done well. But like, I also am like, this is different. And I like, like that it's different. And I think that it's probably telling, right. That like people were super pissed about the end of game of Thrones. And I was like, I mean, this isn't necessarily. There were pieces of it where I was like, "This isn't the." We, we can. I mean, I I know what happened at the end of Game of Thrones. Even if I haven't seen the episode, so we can spoil. As far okay, as I'm concerned. Yeah. So, like for example, they're in the last season, which is like rushed because they didn't want to be making the show anymore, and I get that. Um, 
so people are like, oh man, like, uh, like uh, Cersei didn't look pregnant. And also like, it was very easy to get from one place to the next place. And it's like, yeah, cause they're making a TV show. Like get out of here. Um, but like Jamie sleeps with Brienne, right. And then leaves and is like, I have to go back to Cersei. And then like the two of them die at the end together, but it's like a very, like they get buried with a little bit of rubble. It's like very anticlimactic. And I'm like, is that how I would have written it? No, it would have been, like, more meaningful. But, like, should they have died together? Yeah, because, like, ultimately, even as even though he wanted to not be, like, as deeply in, intertwined with Cersei, like, he was. And so people are like, this doesn't match his character arc. And it's like, no, but this is what happened. So, like, get over Did you enjoy the, like, the eight years of the show you got to watch? Just, like, be be okay with that. My question for you about the last season of Game of Thrones, which again, I have not watched, yeah. but I know the main beats and arcs is, and I think this is, this is a question, and this is a question that Gretchen Felker Martin and Chanti Collins used to think about how people relate to Game of Thrones as a TV show. And mm-hmm. I think it's the right question to ask. What was your reaction to Daenerys burning King's Landing to the fucking ground? <sighs> to me, it tracked because like, she over the last few seasons was obsessed with building power and, and felt like her, that was being threatened. And so acted in one of the only means that she really felt like she had control over. So that to me felt really consistent with her character. This is the objectively correct answer yeah, to, and, that, to this question that you have just offered. And like, I think much of the critique, at least much of the critique that I've heard is like, the heel turn is too quick. And it's like, okay, but like, did the heel turn make sense? So like it being too quick, like we in, if this had happened in season three, it would have taken a few seasons or whatever to like build up to that. Sure. But like there, like, but ultimately it was consistent with who she was at, at that point. So like, yeah. As Gretchen Felker Martin is consistently willing to point out, one of the very first major acts that Daenerys does, both in the books and in the show, is she burns a slave alive, yeah. Miriam Asdor, because this formerly enslaved person, right, did whatever she did in the tent with Drogo and the child and the horse sacrifice. Yeah. Like, literally, Daenerys's first instinct is to burn this former slave alive. Yeah. As she sets out on a course where she will assume the mantle of liberator of slaves. Like, yeah. so the, the heel turn happened in season one on yeah. some level. <laughs> and it's like Daenerys is like, will always be a like deeply disempowered woman who's, who's like subject to the whims of men. And when yes. she's not that it's when she's like at her most aggressive and violent oftentimes. And yeah. so like, did we hope that the freeing of slaves like tempered that? Yeah, but like again, this is who Daenerys is. Like Daenerys's love for for Jon Snow, which like I've got that like I've got some questions about, but like Fair. is that going to like tame this wildness in her? No, we've seen her as this like wild person willing to like do as much as she needed in order to save herself and and like her her purpose and like i'm sorry but the thing that has been building for seven seasons is like daenerys 
thinks that she is the rightful like ruler of this place and she like every season of the world of the world yeah both continents in effect yeah we like even if she's ultimately turns on essos to go to westeros etc etc but right but like that that this is her rightful seat and so like to me the message of the show is like power corrupts absolute power corrupts absolutely right like yeah super cliche Mm -hmm. but like that's what we see with daenerys so like why is everybody so surprised And I'm glad we came to this place of, like, absolute convergence. Yeah. See, like, sometimes, sometimes, like, like, where we both are ends up in the same place. Yeah. I'll take it. This feels like a good place to end. It is. Can I offer, I just, I transcribed a couple more cut to black quotes. I just want to throw (laughs) out there. Uh, Just to, just for the, for the permanent record. Um, so let's see. They don't go the easy road. They don't let you off the hook. I don't even remember what show they were talking about here. It just does more than it needs to. That's the line for me. The best way to describe the television I like, you can apply it in a lot of different ways. Um, and this was ended up being talking about like, there's a way that it happens on Twin Peaks and there's a way that happens on Halt and Catch Fire. Um, so that's one of the, then one other quote to, to transcribe is, I think I don't, I didn't know whether this was Shanti Collins or Gretchen Felker Martin, so my bad mm-hmm. there. Um, uh, this is talking about the leftovers. It's smart. It's not stupid. It's berserk head trauma surrealism that eventually has a rhyme and a reason and a strength of, Im- of strength of imagery and willingness to be inexplicable and weird. And these are all, all of what just what transpired are things that I like. <laughs> yeah. And I think like I can be on board for the weird, but like with, if it meets certain conditions, Right. And I think like that is like Moon Knight is weird, but it's Marvel weird. And like I'm on board for Marvel weird because Marvel hasn't really steered me that wrong in the past. And and I think like maybe that's also part of it, which is like I again, I spend a lot of my life trying to like produce what could be flippantly called as like hot takes on things that people have had conventional takes on for years. Literally Greek tragedy has been around for over two millennia. And so like I do enough of my own creative thinking in my work. I don't want to have to think creatively when I watch TV. And I think you like the, you like another avenue to be able to do that. Like with, I think perhaps like without stakes and just for like, just for the vibes. Mm -hmm. And I'm like Mm -hmm. a little bit less, like I'm not watching TV for the vibes. I'm watching TV to like tape, take a step away from the normal things I do in life. And for me, that's vibes. Right, you're right, right. <laughs> it's transcendent vibes. Right, it's real vibes. I'm like, I've got enough vibes. Like, I'll be, I'll be interested to see how I respond to quote unquote Marvel weird when we talk about Moon Knight this summer. I think there are going to be. I'm, I'm excited, and I think something we should do is like, I should like write down before we record a given episode what I think you, the things you like are going to be. <laughs> That's a good segment. Um, that's a good segment. It'll be like a revised Danielle Dossier. Danielle Dossier on John McMahon. 
Wow. It that's already exists. Terrifying. <laughs> Speaking of terrible and beautiful, that I think is it. Yes. What we did a great it. Great callback. We did it. Oh my God. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, that's as good a place as any is to wrap up. Absolutely. So thank you for joining us on on this meta journey (laughs) on Not Quite Great Books. A TV podcast. We'll see you next time. And as always, thanks to uh, producer Amy. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. It was created by Daniel Hanley and John McMahon and indirectly producer Amy. You can find us on Twitter at NotGreatBooksTV. You can email us at NotGreatBooksTV at gmail.com. If you have comments or questions that we might potentially read and respond to on air, subscribe, download, rate, review us, tell your friends to find us at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and Amazon Music and Google Podcasts. We would like to thank Less FM for Electro Trend 60s, which is the music that you heard at the beginning and you are hearing right now. Until next time. Go play some racquetball.